0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. We are fizzing like a sherbet dib-dab here. It is T20 World Cup time. If we were soccer fans, we would be absolutely excited like Christmas morning. Um, We're going to talk all things T20 cricket in terms of the World Cup kicking off. We're also going to cater for the purists as well we're going to talk about the rescheduling of the england india test series and lippy's going to bring us a domestic new zealand update as well it's all coming up on the top order podcast stay tuned Well, guys, I should probably just start out by saying that a sherbet dib-dab is an English sweet that is essentially a very, very fizzy sherbet that when you put it on your tongue, it explodes in your mouth to give you a cacophony of joy like the World Cup brings to um, us at the moment. So the UAE is the venue. We are t Twenty. World Cup underway. Some surprises in the qualifying, but we're going to kick off and talk a little bit about the T Twenty before we come on to some other cricketing news from around the world. Um, I'm going to come to the panel first, really, in terms of our first reflections of this World Cup. What are what are our thoughts? Look, I I just want to start, and I think what the first
1: thing we should do is really recognise what an achievement it's been for Namibia and Scotland to to make the Super Twelve stage. I mean. Um, you know we can see how many good teams there are now in that second tier I think if you know if you didn't know that before you can certainly see it now Baldy picked to Netherlands and Ireland to make it out of that group. Scotland has beaten Bangladesh on the way through to that. you know Namibia haven't been in this phase of a World Cup since 2003 where they were pretty much comfortably beaten by almost every team that they played. Scotland have had sporadic appearances they've only won one game before at the 2016 t20 world cup against hong kong in the qualifiers and now they've just won three in the bounce including that bangladesh win and you know i just think it's a, a massive achievement and, and it's it's not an easy thing to do to make it through to those qualifiers so i, I really think uh you know massive hats off to them and I'm, I'm really excited to see what they've they can do in this next phase i, I should mention a, a very good friend of the show uh met reminded me that cricket has been played in scotland since 1785 so uh you know, it's not a it's not a new sport for them, but a, a very good achievement. And I suppose on that note, we you know we've spoken in the past about the ODI World Cup at its is sort of at its best when everyone plays everyone. But you know, have have seeing these second tier teams play in this earlier round and and you know qualify for this has that broadened your horizon on what you want to see in future World Cups?
2: Oh, absolutely. I thought the first round of this World Cup was fantastic. It was, um, it was close cricket, it was competitive cricket and it was exciting cricket. You know, Ireland had it all to play for in their last pool game. You know, that was effectively a knockout match. They were in the box seat. They had it all to play for in Ireland. They say, sure, it was a huge opportunity and they just didn't take it. Um, And disappointment for Ireland, disappointment for the Netherlands as well, which makes me 0-2 in that group in terms of my predictions. So I'm not going to make any more predictions for the rest of the World Cup because I've been wrong uh, as much as I've been right already. But um, look, fantastic from Scotland to get through and and also fantastic for Namibia and a lot of prize money for those those two nations as well to take home uh, fattened purse strings at the end of the tournament.
3: Well, Lippi, to answer your question, every great meal needs an appetizer. Is that not right? And that's what this was. I actually really enjoyed yep. it. It put a real spotlight on those associate nations uh, for me, especially. We did we did the interview with uh, Daniel Bezek uh, not long ago around those associate nations, and a lot of what he said to come come to the fore. Uh, I found it really interesting watching Scotland and, and Ireland play. Uh, Curtis Kempfer really caught my eye with that four wickets and four balls. And the other team that's actually caught my eye is one I didn't give any sort of, to go away from the Associate Nations a little bit, but didn't didn't give them a chance is Sri Lanka. They've come through that stage really, really powerfully and have set themselves up for this um, this round two, uh, Super 12. Over to you, Binksy.
0: Yeah, so look, an interesting uh, comment and, and segueing really from what you've just said there, Raj. You talk a little bit about Sri Lanka. Lanka. There, my question to you guys is: Bangladesh and Sri Lanka have obviously had to go through this um, qualifying period. How good a stead has that actually put them in, in terms of their lead into this? If we look at a few of those warm-up games, they they seemed a little bit lacklustre for the major nations, whereas Sri Lanka and Bangladesh have had to fight their asses off to actually get through into the tournament proper, and. You know, we talk about banana skins. Losing to Bangladesh isn't a banana skin with the quality that they've got in that side. England play them, um, I think, in a couple of days' time um, as an example in that group. So, uh, my question to you guys really is around those uh, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. Have that has the fact that they've been involved in that qualifying tournament actually put them in a position that they are? In a better position than some of the in inverted commas major nations that that are in the tournament already, uh, leading into the final stages in this Super Twelve format.
2: Oh, I think so, absolutely. If you have a look at Sri Lanka's form, I mean, one of the reasons they're in such good form is I completely wrote them off before the tournament started. So that's that's clearly the big reason why they're in form, but. their their side is starting to gel together even without their superstar or some of their superstar players. The guys who are there are taking that next man up mentality and even in that game between um, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka in that opener, it was a really high scoring, high competitive game. Whereas the other games that we've seen so far in the openers have been low scoring, there hasn't been great batting. So certainly from a point of view of the batters in that tournament so far, they've definitely benefited.
3: Yeah, I think there's probably two sides to this, Binxia. I think there is the side where they've got that momentum up which is what is really important especially with with 2020 cricket the big mo but the other one is having to play for your life for such a long time does get does wear on you as a team Uh, and those two teams or everybody that's come out of that ground one is going to have to have done that for three or four games longer uh, than the other teams in the in the main draw the tournament proper so there is pluses and minuses but getting that momentum on board is definitely definitely big I agree with that
1: yeah, I'll just jump in to say that I completely agree with you about those um, warm-up games. They, yeah, watched the the New Zealand ones, and they were just they just seemed like they were all just going through the motions. It was it was not a great watch, to be honest. So, yeah, I, I as you say, Raj, it's it's going to be interesting whether those teams can carry it on in the back half of that tournament because obviously they've got longer to play. They've you know that you can, it's it's hard to stay in form for a long time, and I think you see with the T Twenty World Cups as teams get on a roll for two weeks and they and they can win a tournament. Whereas if they have to stay on that role for, you know, a month, six weeks, five weeks, six weeks, it's, it becomes a lot harder. So, yeah, look, absolutely.
0: Well, guys, we're keen not to make this necessarily a rundown of what's happened in the tournament so far, because by the time we get the podcast out, it'll be fish and chip paper. But we were pretty clear in terms of, I guess, nailing our colours to the mast in terms of the teams that we were really, really interested Um, to see we've seen Australia obviously debut in the tournament New Zealand um, England and the West Indies as well what are our thoughts just around those sort of opening salvos in the tournament uh, so far before we lead on to a little bit more around perhaps the pitches and uh, the performances so far that we've seen throughout this first stage of the tournament
2: well Australia's opening salvo from their bowlers was a full nine inch cannon off the front deck of the battlecruiser Their batters, unfortunately, came to the party armed with only a Super Soaker 50. So from an Australian point of view, bowling good, batting unconvincing, not surprisingly unconvincing, top of the order, still a problem for Australia. But what it has highlighted for me is that Stephen Smith is a very, very important part of that side to be able to bat through the middle of the innings. Lots of question marks around those all-rounders and and the finishing was okay. But man, they they were unconvincing in that chase against a a South African side that bowled well, but they only had to chase 118. Bordy, can I just ask you the, the question that you should hopefully know
0: that's on my lips now. In our WhatsApp group that we have for planning the podcast, you actually said you thought that Smith or Warner might miss out. Um, from that batting lineup Steve Smith now inked in for the rest of the tournament
2: well I think he's the formula now for Australia to bet around isn't he if the openers aren't going to provide a solid platform in the first six overs you have to bet around someone like Stephen Smith so two for 22 or two for 23 after six overs in the power play is not the way forward for Australia to win big games of cricket so they're going to have to bet around someone like Stephen Smith so I think you've got to lock him in
3: from a bowling perspective, what did you make of the Agar Hazelwood switch? Obviously, it looks like it was an incredible move at this stage, but what were your thoughts about that?
2: I think Australia will still take a horses for courses approach. You know, Cummins did bowl well, Stark bowled well first over notwithstanding so I think Cummins had two for 17 something like that from his four so all of the fast bowlers bowled really really well I think Agar will come into the tournament as we go on if we can get anything out of our top six I think Australia will be a lot more comfortable going with five bowlers but at the moment we need an extra batter and we got four overs out of Maxwell didn't need Stoinis didn't need Marsh at the bowling crease so from a bowling point of view I think it went about as well as it could possibly have gone man we got lucky with that Quinton Decoq dismissal if he got going Australia were in big trouble I think uh, because he and Marsh could have put a lot of runs on pretty quickly.
1: Boy, it's going to be hard to leave Hazelwood out though from now on. He, he looked he looked brilliant. He just looked like he just carried on from from where he left off and um, for CSK. And I mean, I'm glad you mentioned South Africa there because I thought they they had a really good attitude, certainly in the field. Um, obviously, the batting didn't go that well for them, but they looked really up for it when they were you know absolutely. Uh, just charging around and celebrating every wicket. So yeah, I, I wouldn't, you know, I guess I, I called them, uh, you know, a dark horse for the tournament. I, I don't know if I necessarily still stand by that, but I, I certainly think that they, they're going to present some difficulties if they can get enough runs. And I think that was always going to be the challenge for them.
2: Yeah, all it's going to take is for one of those top sides like England or West Indies to be slightly off their game against South Africa and they could steal it. You know, uh, South Africa is still a dangerous side and this is a really, really strong group, group one.
3: Okay, Binksy, I'll, uh, I'll throw over to you now. Let's talk about the uh, West Indies England demolition. What are your initial thoughts on that game?
0: Yeah, so look, um, I've got to admit, viewers and, and listeners, I didn't get up in the middle of the night to watch the game live. I did wake up the first thing the next morning, avoided my phone, which was on airplane mode, went straight to my living room and, and started to watch it on the uh, Sky Sports app from scratch without knowing the result. Um and look, was pleasantly surprised with the way that that game unfolded. Um, I think we'll come on to it in, in a few minutes time, but certainly I don't think the pitch was necessarily, necessarily conducive to the big scoring boundary fest that we would have hoped between those two relatively attacking batting lineups with probably bowling being their weaker suits. The thing that surprised me really was the press after the game around how England had look. I'll paraphrase the press limped to victory. Um, I think the reality is you're chasing fifty odd. Um, Why would you go absolutely gung ho? Uh, Joss Butler's runner ball effort um, for me just was was having a net and and kind of getting himself into a position to be in a great position for the next game that they play. So. Look, I don't think if you're England, you can be anything other than absolutely elated with that, with the exception of the fact that they weren't really put under any pressure um, throughout the course of that game. Really, um, um, I know, Raj, you you don't um, rate Adil Rashid as highly as I do. I thought he um, came to the party. And look, I think Moeen Ali just carried on his form from his really, really stellar performances for CSK and the IPL to set the tone. You wouldn't have thought he was going to bowl four overs through. Obviously, the game situation dictated he was able to do that. And, boy, I thought they looked pretty good um, in their dark blue, to be honest.
1: Yeah, geez. Um, and someone you didn't – well, you did mention him a little bit there, but Butler, boy, I've been impressed with him. I watched you know, I watched that New Zealand-England uh, warm-up game, and, and he looked unbelievable in that game. So, yeah, it, obviously a, a lot of positives. But, Raj, I want to throw it back to you because West Indies, obviously a team you've got a lot of affinity for, and, Look, I thought they were atrocious in that game, that batting. Um, you know, the amount of times where they just came in and hit it straight to a fielder, it, it was just... It just seemed like, I don't know, it's just... What what do you think was going on there?
3: Yeah, firstly, just to hit back on Adil Rashid. You're right, somebody's got to come in and, and get 1911. so someone's going to do that. You're right, he did that, he did that well. Yeah. Um, with the with the West Indies, look, it's a double-edged short sword. With the West Indies, they they're going to play one way. They're going to go out there and hit the ball. We're going to come into it on the pitches and talk about talk about what they are like. But the way they went after it was not the way that they needed to. Even in the um. If we go back, just going back slightly to that South Africa game, when they got in the in in the poos a bit early on, they actually built an innings up around that towards the middle or back end of their their innings, and they didn't quite kick on. But West Indies never even had a thought of that; they just had that one setting of going hard, going early, um, and uh, it didn't work out for them either.
1: One one minor positive I thought for them uh, was uh, Akil Hussain. I thought he bowled really, really well up front. Obviously, you know it's. It's difficult to assess the situation there with uh, you know with England chasing such a low total, um, but yeah, I just thought he was he fitted in perfectly, and you know F- Fabian Allen was going to be a big loss for them, I thought, but um, you know if a, if a Saint's going to bowl like that every every game, then uh, yeah, he's going to be excellent.
3: I think in because I actually thought that he was probably outside an outsider to um, Walsh Junior to actually play, but he bowled really really well. I think spin is going to play a massive part. Um, in in this World Cup and and having those guys uh, to come in and especially Walsh Jr. when he gets in there having those spinners to come in and take those wickets slow down the game uh, is going to be important he did a great job.
2: Raj how much do you think that net run rate deficit now that the West Indies are in minus 3.9 how much do you think that's going to hurt them in the back end of this group stage when it's going to be all to play for?
3: Yeah, uh, this, this group, um, Group 1, is is very, very tough group to get out of. There's going to be a lot of uh, teams who are disappointed when it comes to the end of this uh, Super 12 stage. Uh, it, it is massive now, um, uh, Baldy. They're going to have to cause a few upsets along the way uh, and, and, and get themselves through to that. I think they, ca- they can't rely on run rate anymore, the West Indies. Uh, they need to rely on winning games, that first and foremost. Oh, that's probably a good
1: place to... I, I know we, we still haven't touched on New Zealand, and obviously I want to talk about New Zealand, but I, I, why don't we do Group 1 now and, and how difficult that group now looks, at least on paper, because you you look through and, and you do see every, every side now is a, a test nation, and, and it looks very strong. But in a way, I almost think that, that that is a positive for those teams because it means, like you say, that the West Indies can have a bad day and maybe think that other teams can... All knock each other around and, and actually it's going to be difficult for any team to go through that pool unbeaten. Do you guys agree or do you think now, look, it's it's going to be, uh, it's just such a harder group for everyone now?
0: Well, well, guys, you know, we've got a podcast and we want to kind of talk things up and create a little bit of drama that the fact is all the teams in that group have now played one game and, and obviously half of them have won and, and half of them have lost. And let's not make any bones about it when we go into the next round of games. South Africa, Bangladesh, uh, West Indies having not obviously won a game because they've been the, the, the teams that have, that have lost games so far. Could easily turn that round and all of a sudden we're in a situation where everybody's played 2-1-1, lost one and and it's it's potentially going to come down to net run rate. This you know this group is um you know to use the, the the footballing parlance it is the group of death. We we don't know what's going to happen over the course of the next four or five games of cricket because I I genuinely think you know, we've got the West Indies that we all alluded to as being a, a front runner for this tournament at the moment on net run rate bottom of that group. We've got Bangladesh. You've come out of an absolutely amazing qualifying tournament for them. They've got players in form. Shaqib Al-Hassan, who we've talked about a lot is currently, I think leading that MVP list. Um, I mean, granted he's, he's he's had four games, so, you know, he should have some stats on the board, (laughs) but um, at at the end of the day, that group is going to be so difficult to get out of. And, and, a, a toss, a little bit of dew at the wrong time, um, a bad pitch, a terrible decision, a, you know, a poor review. And all of a sudden, it, you know, it's nip and tuck within that group. So, um, yeah, look, I wouldn't envy being any team in that group right now. But who would have thought Sri Lanka at the moment um, um, in the slot to go through? I know it's early stages.
2: And hasn't Hasaranga been impressive? Uh, he's been awesome for me. He uh, really surprised me. I haven't had much of a look at Hasaranga. not surprisingly to listeners of this podcast. We don't get to watch a lot of Sri Lankan cricket on the top order, but he's been really, really impressive. And I, I think that he'll be back at the IPL again next year. I was very impressed with him so far. So Lippy,
0: you alluded to New Zealand. Uh, it, look, it always feels weird to to come to you as the the only person that can talk about New Zealand cricket on a New Zealand cricketing podcast. But you're sitting there, resplendent in black with your teal cap on and your Steinlager stubby holder. So yeah, what what do you want to say about the black caps?
1: Yeah, look, I I actually um thinking about New Zealand um. And yeah, I should say that Raj obviously cheers for New Zealand too. For anyone who, who doesn't know that listening to this podcast, um, I do obviously seem to take the limelight, but that's because probably Raj has more of a affinity to some of the other teams around the world than I do. I can't. I find it very hard to, to look through uh, anything else other than my rose-tinted New Zealand glasses. Um, but look, I'm actually starting to get a, bit, a little bit nervous about New Zealand. Um, I, I know that those two warm-up games, or three warm-up games they played, um, I, as I said before, the the warm up games they were they did kind of just go through the motions. There's they play a, a number of different players. There's kind of sub rolling subs almost. Guys come on bowling over and then they go off and someone else comes on. It, it's sort of a little bit Mickey Mouse and you know Kane Williamson hasn't played yet. But you know just when I look through the team now, I, I don't know. I'm tr- maybe it's just that those week one jitters but I I sort of feel like maybe we're a player short maybe one more bat one batter short one bowler short and kind of whichever way we go with the side uh, we're not quite there I want to ask you guys because you all picked New Zealand to make the semi-finals what, what is it about New Zealand's side when you guys look through it that gives you the confidence that they will go well because yeah like I said sometimes I just can't see through the eye patch that I have
3: yeah, well, for me, it was because Pakistan were going to be poor. That's why New Zealand were going to get through uh, quite easily. But that, that's turned things on its head. Uh, I don't think, I don't have a problem with, with New Zealand's lineup. I think they've got a good lineup. They've got good bowlers who have uh, performed well around the world with Bolton and, and Ferguson uh, in the IPL recently. They've got batsmen who are absolute class uh, with White Bull, uh, Martin Guptill, Kane Williamson, and, and not to forget our man, Devin Conway. So I, I don't have a problem with New Zealand. Um, Lineup at all. I think we just need to start getting out there and start playing, uh, and uh, I think we'll go well. What I do find interesting uh, is that 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 uh, result we just talked about, the Pakistan India one, because that has thrown out, uh, thrown that, that that group open. Uh, we were talking about this being over within the first week or so, uh, but uh, no, with Pakistan winning, that is going to make the every game in this tor- in this tournament in this Super Twelve stage very important because it's going to come down to runway run rate if India end up beating New Zealand at some stage, or New Zealand end up losing to Pakistan uh, as well. So it's going to be very interesting all the way through. Yeah,
1: it's a good point you make, because it is a massive week for um, for both all three of those teams. I mean, yeah, Pakistan were incredibly impressive last night. I know we haven't talked about it in depth, and I'm sure many of the people uh, listening now will have at least seen the highlights, and, and will probably come on to... Kohli uh, and, and Barbara Zahm's innings and, and Rizwan a little bit later when we're talking about uh, the the way that uh, batters play on these pitches. But yeah, I mean it still could be over in a week, you know, because if, if Pakistan win both of their games, New Zealand wins, beats India, it, it's, you know, no disrespect to Namibia, Scotland that we've just given a shout out to and Afghanistan. But, you know, there's a real chance that Pakistan or, or New Zealand could win out in this group and it might all come down to New Zealand v India on whenever that is at, at the weekend and the and the the uh pool could be over in one week it's it's an interesting schedule really I, I think it's yeah fascinating way to schedule the tournament but yeah it's a, a huge huge week and I guess maybe that's where the nerves are coming from from New Zealand because those those two games are going to define what we do
0: well guys let, let's move on and talk a little bit about some of the topics that we we know we wanted to cover. I think in all fairness, when we planned the podcast run sheet over the course of the last 24 hours, we, we've asked a question around batting performance versus pitches. That was before this tremendous chase from the Pakistan um, uh, duo of, of Rizwan uh, and Babar Azam, who've seemingly just sort of chased down 150 without really breaking a sweat, Um, And that's pretty difficult to do in 40 degree heat. Um, But let's look at that. What what do we think around um, the pitches and and the way that the batting units in this World Cup so far have, have approached things?
2: Well, I think in that first game, South Africa versus Australia, South Africa were pretty timid in that first six or seven overs. They were a little bit... Maybe it was nerves. Maybe they just wanted to get off to a solid start and, and, and not take too many risks early doors. But, you know, they were two for 20 in the power play. I think they were three for 30 at some point. Australia, likewise, they were very nervous in their first six overs. We know how important the first six overs are in the UAE in terms of being able to post a big total. I don't necessarily think in the Australia game at least, the wicket was all that bad for batting. I think that the teams were a little bit nervous, a little bit timid. The bowlers got on top and really the the batting side had to fight their way out of trouble. And if you played one or two rash shots, Mitchell Marsh got out to a really, really rash shot. Um, And so for me in that game, it was more a case of timid batting or or not confident batting, not not supremely confident to take the ball over the top that was the the case, not necessarily a poor batting wicket. Look, I... I
1: that my initial reactions to, I guess, all the batting that I've seen in this tournament, and certainly the last couple of days, have really highlighted that that this might be a World Cup where you, your class player really shows. You know, we've already seen it, look, like, overnight with Steve well, with Smith's innings, with Coley's innings, with Barbara's arms innings. You know, they're part of this big three, big four, big five. What you know, what however far you want to extend that that number. Um, but what those really, really class players are able to do is that they're able to get into in on a pitch and sort of immediately know what a good score is. And and that's what someone like, yeah you know, I, I think I touched on it with Williamson I uh, in our World Cup preview. He's going to be such a crucial player for New Zealand on that front because some of the pitches they play on, they are going to be 120, 140 wickets. But some of them, you are going to need 170. So Actually, those class players are going to become so crucial to, to the way that people react to these pitches.
3: Yeah, and just from following on from that, I think that's because, you know, at this World Cup, 150 is going to be a good score outside of Sharjah. Uh, and, and that's mm. why. So if your if you're, if you're best player can stand up, and, or any player really, if they can stand up and get 50 off not many balls, that's going to go a long way to winning the match. What this actually, it actually reminds me of is... I think Binksy mentioned it earlier in our in our Slack channel. It, it feels a bit like a throwback to the early 2000s with one-day cricket where you had your sort of bash, then your consolidate, and then your bash at the end. You know, that first 15 overs, then you've got your th- 25 overs, 30 overs, 35 overs of consolidation before biffing at the end. It feels like that for me, and that's where you're going to to pick it up. Uh, but I, I just think... 150 is going to be a really good score and even though India got chased down at that 151 for seven Pakistan chased that down but with 10 10 balls to spare which feels like a lifetime in 2020 cricket but had they taken a wicket or two that changes very quickly so yeah mm. it's one of those tournaments where grinding out the runs with the bat and then bowling and fielding really well like South Africa did in the field in that second innings is going to put some real pressure on on that team that's chasing the the the, the victory.
0: Yeah, look, for, for me, definitely that uh, biff, build, bash, I think is what I referred to in the in the Slack channel is the, the way that I see the tournament unfolding. I think one of the key things for me is going to be with limited grounds available for, for this tournament is how the groundsmen are actually able to, um, I, I believe they're still allowed to use glue on the wickets and, and kind of revive them relatively quickly um, in terms of, you know, a bit of water, a bit of glue, roll them, get them to the point that, that, you know, they're able to perform again. But they're going to need to do that over and over again in this tournament, playing over just the um, the limited venues that are available. So it's going to be really interesting. And I think the other thing, and, and you, you picked up on it there, guys, perfectly, is a class batter is going to be able to give that feedback. And I think what we've seen in 2020 cricket to a large extent is guys that just go absolutely gung-ho from ball one, it is going to be the likes of a Steve Smith. It's going to be the likes of a Joss Butler. It's going to be the likes of um, a Chris Gale who are giving that feedback to the dressing room to say, actually guys, 150 gets us in this game or no, we need 180. And being able to get that back to the dressing room, I just looked at the way Steve Smith ran the ball down to third man. He was like, well... That, you know, this is a runnable, I can do this, and this is going to be the way that we get um, into the game from a batting perspective. So that's going to be really key for me. And I think the other thing, of course, is that we're talking about this being a T20 World Cup. These are the best players in the world. We've seen a lot of franchise cricket where you might have six or seven guys in a team. We keep forgetting, I think, with this T20 World Cup that we have these gun batsmen that can clear the ropes, but we also have the absolute concentration of the best bowlers available in world cricket. And to see that balance between bat and ball in this format of cricket, I think is absolutely exhilarating to watch.
1: That's that's probably a, a brilliant way. I think you're, you're spot on there that this this World Cup is completely delivering in its first couple of weeks here. But we did want to hit on a, a couple of extra little tidbits uh, of things that have happened this week. Raj, you wanted to give us a little teaser about the the IPL and, and what's happening with the, the two new franchises that are on the horizon
3: yes so there are two new franchises that are supposed to enter the competition in 2022 so that's six months time from now uh I guess as you mentioned this is going to be a teaser so the first thing to mention is that we don't actually know anything about these franchises yet where they're going to be uh, who's going to own them so there is a a bid process in in currently in flight this week uh there's 22 People who have registered interest uh, in in being part of this um, bid auction, Uh, the main thresholds around it that they have to have operations in India as part of their company. And then they have to also show an annual turnover of $400 million US over the last uh, three years each year. So that's a a big number. And the base price, the starting bid price for any of these franchises, franchises is... $276 million US so we're looking here in terms of what companies are looking at this we've got a lot of pharma companies we've also got a lot of infrastructure companies steel and some media companies as well. Uh, and, of course, you've got the private equity firms in there as well, sniffing around. So those are the kind of companies that are looking to, to put together a bid or a consortium to bid for this process. But uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about what happened with that uh, next week when um, when when we when they announce what happened with the bid process. Wow.
0: That's 10 times the franchise price of the average McDonald's, so that's pretty huge. Um,
1: Do you reckon we could get a a, give, a, give a little page going and, and uh, raise... 250 mil in, in, uh, in a couple I'm pretty of days. Sure we could, think we'll I'm pretty
3: sure
0: we could run a franchise, boys. We, we've got all the cricketing knowledge. We've not got a prediction wrong in the last two years. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just predict ourselves to
1: lose every week.
0: <laughs> um, Lippi you talked about a couple of tidbits there. So England-India test series is going to be completed. So... The Old Trafford test match that never was has turned itself into an edge Baston test match that is going to take place. Uh, Old Trafford losing out on the revenue from that test match, but they are going to get a South Africa test and also a Foo Fighters and Red Hot Chili Peppers concert as well. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think um, a lot of water gone under the bridge there to make that happen but look definitely um yeah good to see that series going to be completed and it will be a completion of that series rather than a new test match as well
1: so weird it's going i feel like that's going to be such a, a weird thing but i guess they've got to do it right they then for some reason they decided that they needed to finish that series uh i guess for for the world test Championship, probably is makes it relevant uh, and also, it's the cash as well, isn't it? But yes, yeah, I feel like it's going to be really weird for them just to, to be finishing this test series rather than just playing this one-off I, test.
3: Is the plan still to back on to a white ball series that India's going there for? or is this...
0: Yeah, I believe they're going to be in the country. So yeah, it be interesting to see what they do from a squad perspective, I guess. Um, India are probably one of those teams that actually have probably more... Uh, cohesion between the the red and white ball squads in a lot of countries uh, as well. Lippy, I'm going to come back to you some New Zealand domestic uh, news and and some positive news I think as well.
1: Yeah, look you've you've given me a lot of grief the last few weeks for kind of ending the podcast on a on a negative note sort of uh, touching on how disrupted I guess this domestic season uh, is likely to be here in New Zealand. But look I thought I would uh Turn that around this week and, and just kind of highlight a few Kiwis sort of shining over the past week or so. So look, we've had uh, both Sophie Devine and Rachel Priest in the WBBL scoring hundreds and and boy, if you haven't seen the highlights of of both those two innings, then you really should get onto it because yeah, there's some some big bombs as they say, uh, some some huge hits from from both of those two and, and really impressive uh, really impressive scores. I know we touched on uh, the. Uh, World Cup a great deal, but we didn't actually mention Max O'Dowd as someone who, who look, I don't like to give uh, Takapuna players uh, a lot of credit, but uh, look, I, th- I thought he was a-, a real shining light for the Netherlands, and I, I sort of hope that, for his sake, it's a-, a springboard into maybe the Super Smash here, I think he's down uh, in Otago, uh, certainly was last year, so yeah, hopefully that'll be a, a good opportunity and-, and has put his name in lights. And look, we're we're on day three of the Plunkett Shield as we record this on a Monday, so I can't quite give you the results there for that uh for that first round fixtures. But look, we've had a debut hundred from Bailey Wiggins, we've had a hundred from Greg Hay, we've had six for Nathan Smith and Travis Muller, and we've had a Michelle Pfeiffer for Blair Tickner. So look, you know, there's there's already plenty of things uh to to look forward to and, and to get excited about uh for for New Zealand domestic cricket all of that stuff is on YouTube now live all the live stuff so it's uh, it's great that we can I think we touched on it last year that you can you can now watch a lot of that New Zealand stuff and and it's not just the highlights you can you can really get stuck into it so yeah there's some positive positivity to end your week this time Blexie
0: uh, Well Lippy that does segue us nicely to closing off the podcast as you mentioned it's Monday here in Auckland New Zealand so look we look forward to getting back on your air raves for another This Week in Cricket. There is going to be another podcast in your feed as well with our Cricketing Hall of Fame. But we will be back next Monday to record and retract basically everything that we've said in this podcast and go against all of our predictions and comments as we look at the groups in a week's time and and find out that essentially two people have cruised through in Group 1 uh, group 2 has been a piece of piss for one of those teams and everything that we've talked about from a cricketing perspective is completely the opposite but that wouldn't be anything different to the normal top order cricket podcast. But do stay tuned in the feed for a Cricketing Hall of Fame. It is a real humdinger. Um, I've got some notes prepared because I'm ready to go to town on boardy on this Cricketing Hall of Fame episode that is in the airwaves very, very shortly. But for now... this this week in cricket we're going to be back with more world cup jazz next week good night god bless from us all here in auckland stay safe and of course be kind see you soon